0: Hawks Insiders, home of quality analysis, special features, match recaps, interviews and so much more. Follow us on Substack for extended coverage of all things brown and gold.
1: Hi everyone, good evening, welcome to Wednesday night, Hawks Insiders safe space. For the next hour or so, we're going to talk all things important through a brown and gold lens. Thanks for joining us. My name's Ashley Brown, and joining me on this Hawks Insiders production for this evening are my co-hosts and friends and colleagues. Uh, Firstly, in the driver's chair this evening is Danny Prince. Hello, Danny. Ash, good to be with you. I haven't been in a space for the last couple of weeks, so it's nice to be back.
0: Danny, can you hear me? I
1: can hear you. Can you hear me?
0: Yeah, I can hear you, Quincy.
2: Yeah, I got you as well.
1: I can't hear you. This is a problem, but we'll see how we go. I might log off and log on again. Brad, hello.
2: Evening
0: all.
1: Good to be here after a win. And Simon Morowitz, hello. Ash, how you doing? Very well. Good to have you here. Uh, You guys talk amongst yourself, Daddy. You just
3: uh,
1: go along with the recap Uh, while I log off and log on again so I can hear you next time. Be back in a sec. You guys keep talking. Absolutely,
3: the, beautiful, the
4: beauty of Twitter spaces. Um, welcome, everybody, to the Hawks Insiders Wednesday night safe space. Um, always a pleasure to be with you guys on a Wednesday night. Um, we are doing so post uh, a huge win over the Lions at the MCG uh, and a win that we will dissect in great detail. If you haven't already listened to the Hawks Insiders uh, pod, uh, the player ratings pod, I suggest you do that while Ash is getting up to speed. Uh, but the Hawks got over the line against the Lions at the G on Saturday afternoon last week, 98-73. Um, to 73. So that's 15-8, 98-11, 7, by 25 points. Uh, and it was a huge win for the Young Hawks. Uh, their best win definitely of the season and most probably of Sam Mitchell's tenure. Uh, and we'll go a long way to changing the media narrative that the Hawks aren't tanking, if it hasn't already. Ash, can you hear me now?
1: I'm back. Sorry about that, everybody. I don't know yeah. what was going on there. The Gremlins, as yes. usual, uh, you'd have to take a week off. Firstly, I want to apologise last week for the very late cancellation. It was just none of us pretty much could do it. So, But uh, we were going to take this week as a bio-week, so we now came last week as our bio-week. It's good to be back talking with you all, and we'll continue on now, I think, Right, through and soon until the home away seasons. And who knows, Brad? Finals. You never know. You never, ever know.
0: Uh, what do we have to win? <laughs> Probably can't lose. What? Well, we have to win uh, another nine games the last right. ten rounds. Might be finals, mathematically
1: possible. Okay, mathematically possible. All right. So it was the Hawks, 15 8, 98 defeating the Brisbane Lions, 11 7, in front of... Uh, what we call in our recap a small crowd, but a noisy and passionate crowd. I'm going to get back to that shortly with our um, with our recap. And also, to forget, we've got a guest uh, coming on tonight. Jack Fitzpatrick, Hawthorne player of uh, the last few years, uh, respected Twitterer. He yeah, had something very interesting to say on um, Twitter about the Hawks the other day, for which he received a lot of feedback. So we're going to get him to come on and explain that in a few minutes as well. It'll be great to chat to him, but until then... Let's revisit the events at the MCG on Saturday and we'll start with the good, Danny. Well, there was plenty of good, Ash, which
4: is the first um, good thing, I guess. Um, The good was, I think, other than a three-minute period just prior to half-time, which I'm sorry, Brad, if I'm I'm stealing all of your thunder with the bad here. um, The Hawks were very, very good throughout this game. They were competitive from the start. They didn't replicate the issues that they had against Port Adelaide in the first half of last week. Um, they came out of the blocks and um, sort of went punch for punch with the Lions um, and then ran over the top of them in the second half. So um, it was a really, really uplifting and positive game for for the fans to be able to witness. And I think there will be a lot of happy Hawks fans in this space tonight. So, um, you know, I think again, led by um, our young midfield brigade in uh, through the middle of the park, Jai Newcomb's third quarter was absolutely elite. Um, he literally put the Hawks midfield and the Hawks team on his shoulders and carried them um, through that quarter. Um, I thought, again, James Sicily down back and Jarman Impey down back were phenomenal. Sicily um, building a very, very strong case again for um, an all Australian berth if he can stay uh, on the park and not get suspended. Um, German.
1: Well, hang on, Danny. There is a precedent that. Tom Stewart missed five games last year. I think four were for his uh, his uh, act of ill discipline on the field, and he's still made all Australian. But so, uh, what
4: are the colours of just... Tom Stewart's jersey, Ash?
1: Well, well this is true, but uh, I think uh, certain members of the media will be uh, prosecuting the case for Sicily when he gets back onto the ground, uh, if his numbers stay the same, and reminding people of the precedent. But sorry, No, no, up.
4: please always feel free to interrupt. So um, our captain was phenomenal, and you're, you're right. Uh, maybe there is that small window that even if he is suspended, um, he can make the All-Australian side. Um, I thought Jarman Impey was, again, phenomenal, and he is quietly putting together uh, a very impressive season. I would argue he's probably in Hawthorne best form. Um, uh, Dylan Moore was good again, and uh, one of the, one of my favourite parts of the whole day – uh, was watching him celebrate with the crowd after kicking his second goal late in the, in the last quarter. Um, sealed the game for us. And um, I think the passion that you see from Dylan uh, when he is involved in good passages of play is phenomenal. Um, and, and yeah, I, look, I thought um, Mitch Lewis and Jacob Kaczynski provided fantastic options, targets up forward, competed well, marked strongly, kicked truly. Um, Lloyd Meek probably had his best game of his Hawthorne career. And I think we've said that three or four times now, which um, bodes well because it means he's improving week on week. And we're starting to see some of that untapped potential that uh, we thought he had when we brought him over from Fremantle. Um, and, yeah, that's – that's. I mean, there's, there's so much more. I mean, you could go for a long time, I think. You know, Ash, you commented on um, Tyler Brockman um, – finally taking a mark of the week or a potential mark of the year, um, getting a nomination. He's been threatening to do that for a long time. Sam Butler got a um, goal of the week nomination uh, for his dribbler in the first, first quarter, I believe it was, or maybe the third. Um, and, yeah, it was just a fantastic day out of the footy. The weather held off. Um, yeah, it was, it was a really good day out. So there's plenty of, plenty to like from that game as far as I was concerned. Ash.
0: Brad the bad. Not too much, really. I know uh, Princey touched on it. Red time goals at the end of the second half. Princey, one of the positives that I thought you would mention was that we actually sat back uh, together, sat next to each other and watched the game, which was a lovely was That was, a,
4: that was absolutely a positive, Bradley. Thoroughly enjoyed it.
0: Which was, which was lovely. But, yeah, other than that, uh, obviously the James Sicily situation incident that we're going to touch on. Um, I did my, you know, match... Uh, Stuff straight after the game, and I did put down my only cross was James Sicily was going to go directly to the tribunal and cop weeks, which obviously ended up happening, generated a lot of discussion, which I'm sure will take up quite a bit of our time tonight. But you know, mainly that was probably the only two uh, downers. The other one, on a personal uh, note for myself, was uh, second time last game um, I was at was the St Kilda game, had to leave at three quarter time unfortunately, again on the weekend, had to leave at three-quarter time. So I think I'm going to start going to as many games as possible, leaving at three-quarter time, because we'll probably win. So the next one is, I'm pretty sure, is Carlton. We've got the buyer, we play Gold Coast away, then we've got the Blues at 10 past one on Sunday in a few weeks' time. So, yes, I'll be leaving at three-quarter time. What are you telling your friends at Blues Insiders? <laughs> uh, panic stations. Season's over other place
1: you work at. Mara, the fan experience, you wanted to talk about that.
2: Yeah, well, I had the pleasure of being able to take my boy to the MCG for the first time. Um, I remember long, long, long ago, my dad taking me to the MCG for the first time, and I got to do it with my eldest um, on the weekend. I also only got three quarters, but uh, this one was by design, because I thought, you know, a four-year-old probably doesn't have the whole game, so there's no point getting there right for the beginning. So we only got there a bit after, a bit, 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 bit before quarter time, um, and then he managed to make it through to the rest of the game. And he, he was getting a bit antsy by the last quarter, but it was getting close. And I, I tried to tell him how good it's going to be when the siren goes and the whole crowd goes up. And Yeah, he had, you know, sort of four-year-old experience where his favorite bit was the chips, um, and when a seagull um, gave me a present on my jeans. And he, he, you know, was more interested in the guys blowing the whistles than the actual players. But overall, got to give him a, a good experience at the G and, and he's a hawk for life now. He got really into it by the end. So um it was yeah, also a wonderful day out at the footy.
1: I assume he knows the words of the song because it would be the first song you, you taught him.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. He was he could sing that when he was two. <laughs>
1: Um, and was there much iPad, uh, time required or was he, uh, was it just sort of the sights and the sounds kept him interested?
2: Um, no, we, we did have some, some things to keep him busy when, um, you know, like halftime and things like that. So he had a couple of books and, and, and the like, um, but by and large, he was, he was pretty good. Did he stress out
1: over the red time goals at the end of this first half? <laughs> like the us? <rest> <laughs>
2: Yeah, he told me that uh, he thought Hawthorne's uh, precision kicking down the wings could be better.
1: And he liked the handball game.
2: Um, his favourite people were the dudes in purple who bring out the water. That was he oh, was right. captivated by them.
1: <laughs> well, you've made a pamphlet. That piece in the Age ran not long ago, which was I thought quite embarrassing and a bit cringeworthy. About the Hawthorne supporter said, "Is my is my child ever going to see Hawthorne win a game?" Yeah. So I thought of that uh, I thought of that uh, supporter as Hawthorne were kicking away because I don't imagine only the hardcore diehards would have been at the uh, St Kilda game a couple of weeks back. We made that remark. That was really a day for diehards being a true away game. But uh, there was no <laughs> real excuse on that day. So, Joel, your son's done very well. He's one for one.
2: One for one, yeah.
1: Well, uh, I remember my first... Uh, Hawthorne game. I was about seven at the time and uh, Hawthorne beat Carlton. I mean, I was always going to be a Hawthorne supporter anyway, but uh, what do Hawthorne beat Carlton? Cemented me for life. So, well done you, and I'm sure a lot of people listening have got great first time, either their first time or taking their kids to the footy the first time. Don't forget, of course, uh, please, I didn't. Touch, I should have said this off the top, uh, join in the conversation at any time you've got a question or a comment. Let us know in the comments field or uh, raise a Make a request to speak, we will get to you as soon as we can. I want to talk briefly about the fan experience as well. I just had a feeling on Saturday at the MCG. I wrote about this in the Substack, uh, Danny, that Saturday reminded me of those sort of 2005, 2006, and even part of 2007 games that Hawthorne would play at the MCG where, you know, there'd only be sort of 30, 35,000 there because the mass of supporters um, hadn't sort of come back on board yet. Um, and this was a promising team under Alcet-Clarks. And we, most weeks, Hawthorne fans would turn up the football hopeful rather than expectant of a win. Uh, but the, as the game went on, in this case, it was sort of midway through the third quarter. As the as the team came back from that three-goal lead late in the third quarter, they really started to make some... For the first part, the Brisbane supporters were making his, And they're only you know, a fraction of those compared to Hawthorne. I thought the Brisbane fans were making as much noise as the Hawthorne supporters, but in that third quarter and through the last quarter, Hawthorne supporters were really up and about and just absolutely into the game. And then after, celebrating the win, because it's been the first time for a long time that people, it was the first win at the MCG for, I think, close to 11 months. And uh, it was a win that sort of validated so much of what's going on, like those wins in the early days under Clarkson, I think in 2005, when they knocked over Brisbane and... Um, 2000 and uh, and they beat Melbourne the same year. And then they finally beat Essendon that year as well. 2006 had a couple of big wins. And Mark Williams' goal in the rain against Essendon was another one. And then a couple of big wins in 2007, including one over Brisbane. It was that sort of day, Danny? Yeah,
4: absolutely was, Ash. And I think the um, the vibes were – there was a lot of vibes of positivity. And I, I know that I chatted to you pretty much. And you and I didn't necessarily share those vibes. Um, I know Daz and, and Weesey were messaging in our WhatsApp group saying they thought we were on for a win. I I didn't particularly see it. I didn't think we'd get flogged. Um, I thought we'd be competitive, but I didn't see a win. And I didn't see the sort of second-half performance that we produced coming. So um, those are the unexpected and the, the sort of wins that you enjoy even more so because... Like for me personally, I went in with Nat Martin, a friend of the Hawks insiders. Um, we, you know, first time we'd gone to the footy together. He was a bit like Joel. He was really interested in the runners and the, the seagulls flying. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we we went in there and we we both sort of had no expectations. And so when you go in with no expectations, the wins feel even better. And there were some, there were so many encouraging signs from this young group of the types of um, players that helped contribute to the win. I think one of the big ones, I didn't mention it before, was the performance of Connor McDonald. Um, We've seen a lot of really sort of consistently solid Connor McDonald performances, but seeing a breakout um, game like that was um, very exciting. And I think it shows, you know, the shades of those early thousands teams that you're referring to before we Got over the line in 08 Ash, which, um, you know, you'd be looking for the breakout games of some of those young stars that went on to be generational players. So there was definitely, definitely a lot um, to get excited about at the football on Saturday afternoon.
0: All right,
1: Pat, uh, Patrick, a quick question for you before our guest speaker joined us. Patrick, quick question. I was
0: just going to say it almost even felt like a lot of the sections that are more quieter were a bit louder
2: on Saturday as well. Oh, Who was that is Oh, it,
1: it, it was... Uh, no, it was... Uh, p- people certainly made noise. In the M- it, MTC, into the left of the MTC, people were making a lot of noise as the game went on. We welcome former Hawthorne great Jack Fitzpatrick to Hawks Insiders. Jack, good evening.
3: Uh, you guys are too kind to me. Thank you for having me.
1: Great to have you here. Um, you uh, you were the first... Before I get to what I'll discuss you about, you were the first... You, you were the tempered Hawthorne because you were a bad Hawthorne supporter growing up, who ended up playing for the club. Correct. After a detour at Melbourne. You were the template for guys like Dylan Moore and uh, Finn McGuinness and John Newcomb and a a stack of others, Danny knows them all, who uh, played for the club uh, that they barracked for. What was it like for you to pull on the jumper and play for the first time?
3: Oh, look, it was genuinely a dream come true, and it sounds like a stereotype, but, um, you know, my... um... You know, sort of my first game was was sort of, I guess, now that infamous Collingwood game that I don't remind telling people or reminding people about, where I kicked a pretty important goal towards the end. And afterwards, um, you know, my mum said to me, she remembers when I was, I don't know, I must have been eight or so years old, maybe 10 years old, when Ben Dixon kicked that famous goal after the siren against Carlton at the MCG one day. Um, and the Hawks obviously got up and won. And I think it was the game uh, where Peter Schwab was crook from memory, maybe. Um, yeah, he was. But uh, took over. yeah, so, um, you know, I, I still remember that. And I, I listened to it on the radio um, back in the day. And mum still remembers me saying as a kid, "I, when I grow up, I want to kick a winning goal for Hawthorne. And to be able to do, you know, <laughs> to be able to essentially do that, um, I think it gets lost in history that my goal only got us got us level and then Poppy kicked a point to put us in front. But, um, you know, to sort of be able to do that essentially 20 years later um, was literally a, a childhood dream. So, um, yeah, I consider myself really fortunate. And, you know, when I unfortunately did have to retire due to concussion, which is probably in the in the media at the moment because of what we're seeing with the tackling, um, you know, uh, people at the club were always saying, you know, once a Hawthorn player, always a Hawthorn player. And that's something that I'll consider myself fortunate to be.
1: Yeah, well, don't let the
3: facts ruin a good story,
1: uh, Jack. That was an unbelievable day when you made your debut and got that goal, that, I think, at the last game of 2016 against Collingwood. What I want to get you on here, and then we'll talk a bit more about your footy afterwards, is a tweet you put out uh, which I thought couldn't uh, need a further discussion. So, this is your tweet uh, after the Brisbane game. It won't happen in the next 18 months, and it's unlikely to be in the next 30 months, but Hawthorne SC are closer to a flag than three quarters. Of the competition, which got a fair bit of brushback on social media, because that's what social media is all about, of course, um, uninformed opinions. Um, but I'd like to get you to expand on why you think that is. You know, you've, you've, you've got more knowledge uh, and authority than most of us, given that you've played and you,
3: you're still pretty close to the footy scene.
1: Why are you? Why are you so bullish on the Hawks,
3: Jack? Oh, look. I mean, first of all, you could some would argue that this is another uninformed opinion, but. Um, <laughs> Now, look, I think the first thing, when I say closer to a premiership, I mean, if you want to take that literally, don't get me wrong. I was pretty big on the start of the year. I think I put a tweet out um, after our first um, first practice match lost to Collingwood that watching will get us practicing for what we'll be doing a lot this year, and that's watching Hawthorne lose. And in terms of pure teams this year – um, I was pretty strong on the Hawks actually being a poor team. And to be honest, we're actually playing a lot better this year than I thought we would. Um, I, and in terms of, you know, if you want to be honest about closest to a flag right now, there's probably, what, 14 teams in the competition who are closer than what we are, um, regardless of sort of ladder position. But in terms of genuine premiership contenders, um, that's why I said, you know, it's unlikely to happen in the next 30 or so months. Um, you know, which is two and a half years. But I just think with what we saw on the weekend, um, don't don't get me wrong, this is only, what, 10 days or so after, um, you know, we got our pants pulled down by Port Adelaide. Um, but I just think it's looking long-term. Um, I think the club will be on that right track to being genuine contenders. And I just don't know, you know, there are some teams in the competition that um, might be, better than us right now. You look at someone like a St Kilda, for example, but I just don't personally see them being genuine contenders in the next couple of years, which is why I say Hawthorne, even though right now we're probably lower on the ladder. I think we're going to be genuine contenders for a side like that. Um, The style of play and what Hawthorne are building um, is is pretty exciting, I think. What, um,
1: yeah, I'll talk about the game plan. I mean, heavy handball. I mean, the media, if they picked up anything on Hawthorne this week, it's been... The handball happy Hawks—is it sustainable in the long term, or do you think it'd be easier to coach? will um, be easier to coach against uh, teams to scheme against.
3: Look, I mean, it's you know, it, it's always hard to say what what Hawthorne are doing now versus what will be the style in you know three or four years when they're probably going to be at their best. Um, I mean, it's interesting in the sense that you know. Look, I, I genuinely believe, and I've said this to, to many people, Sam Mitchell is the best football brain I've met in football. Um, well, second best behind myself, obviously. Um, <laughs> but no, he he genuinely knows football more than anyone I've ever met. Coaches, players, um, listening to people in the media. It, it's ridiculous. And... Um, Look, I loved it, you know, and I was fortunate when I got, you know, traded to the Hawks and, you know, he I think it was his last last year there, but just being able to listen to him and observe the way he looks at football and he even had theories around, you know, we were playing FIFA once at a pre season camp on, on the PlayStation or Xbox and he had theories that people play FIFA the way they played football. And it was just mind boggling to listen to him talk about that in the sense that Grant Burchell would play FIFA differently to, you know, Caden Brandwood at the time and all like it was fascinating to listen to him. Um, so I think he's got the ability to look at a new style and look at how what will suit his team best first and foremost, but also what will be the next style and what will be harder to beat and looking at the current trends and how other teams play and uh, what might be the best to beat that. Because I think it was Kane Corns or whoever it was, maybe Hutchie put on footy classified the other night. He's looking at, you know, if we're trying to do what the best teams now are doing, A will be three years behind behind them but B will never do it as well as them we need to look at what's next and be the best team at that so hopefully when we perfect that that's the style that's in in vogue and um, I mean you look at football over the years you look at sort of you know you look at the, the when sydney and west coast were having their grand finals and the games were you know low scoring and it was defense and the flood and then geelong completely come across and break that with their running and their almost kamikaze style handball then sort of clarko's cluster comes into it and then to beat that you had the you know st kilda teams and collingwood teams of massive forward pressure and keep the ball in and then it went again back to sort of geelong and hawthorne with precise kicking and all of that and you know, then it sort of goes back to later part of this decade with Richmond all of a sudden. It's forward pressure and territory and ugly and scrap and all of that. So the games are ever-evolving. And I think even the fact of, you know, Hawthorne had Clarko's cluster when they surprised a lot of people in 2008. Um, although I will still, you know, die on the hill that Hawthorne were the best team in 08. I don't care what Geelong's record says. I, I genuinely believe that Hawthorne team was very, good. No, you cool.
1: had, had for, for, for one month of the year, Hawthorne went in September 2008, Hawthorne, it was only temporarily, but it was a month that counted. I agree with you. Hawthorne went past too for the last month of 2008. Hawthorne was the best team in the competition in football for one month, the month that mattered most in September. Then they went back to the pack. But no no, no arguing for me. Hawthorne was the best team
3: in, in the competition by the end of 2008. So you're yeah. not alone. No no doubt about that. Um, but even, you know, that Hawthorne team with Clarko's cluster was sort of played a very different style to, I guess, the Hawthorne precise kicking team that, you know, is arguably, and in, in my opinion, the, the best football team we've ever seen, sort of the, the 3 P team. So they're very different teams. And I think the best coaches, and I think Mitch will be one, certainly from a from a football IQ point of view, Um, Even if what he's doing now, and whether it's sustainable or not, I think he'll be good enough to be able to change tact and, and be able to educate his players to whatever he thinks will be their best weapon to be able to win games, particularly when they're right in that sort of correct age demographic.
1: What do you think they still need? They've probably got one or two more drafts that they want to hit pretty hard. What do you think they need still?
3: I think, look, I think at times... I mean, when you if you watched the game two weeks ago, you'd say they had a hell of a lot. So let, let's not get too carried away with a win against Brisbane in the sense that you know Brisbane are one of the best teams in the comp when they're up and going, but there are question marks about them when things aren't going their way. Um, I think we still need probably a couple of key position players. I wouldn't be giving up on um, Granger-Barras just yet. I know it hasn't quite worked out. And given where he was drafted and sort of the output he's showed at this point in time, people are probably disappointed. At the end of the day, he's still quite young and inexperienced. And, you know, I've seen it myself where some players can just take time. It happens to some players sooner rather than later, you know. Um, In my last year at Melbourne, um, I was drafted the same year as Gorney. And halfway through the year, that um, was my sixth year, so Gorney's sixth year as well. And Max was playing VFL when Jake Spencer was getting a game in the AFL ahead of him. Um, and now all of a sudden, Gorney's you know one of the well the best ruckman in the comp, and you know probably one of the best ruckman we've seen this century. So he's the premiership captain. He broke the drought for you know sixty whatever years it was. He's been a multiple All Australian. It can just take time and for it to click with some players. Um, so I wouldn't be stressing about Grand brass Now, there's obviously talks, does he go back home, all those kinds of things. Um, I think potentially, do we need another key forward? That might be another one. I think Mitch Lewis has clearly got all the talent in the world. Um, I know there are elements of a fan base that are sort of probably frustrated with Cozzy. Um I see the frustrations, but again, he is still young and inexperienced and I wouldn't be throwing the baby out with the bathwater yet. Um, and I probably think they need to work out what's going on in the ruck at the moment. Um, you know, I think Meek was good on the weekend. I've been really impressed with the development of Big Reeves, um, and he's a seriously big man. Um, I met him last year, and he's seriously tall. Um, these guys show potential. Um, I personally um, don't know if you can play two genuine rucks in a team, and I think even Melbourne at the moment – Their forward line isn't functional when they're playing either Gorn or Grundy as a permanent forward. Um, And I just don't think you can play one as a permanent forward. So, you know, working out who the second rack is, that will probably help. And as good as the kids are, I think Will Day is as good a young player as there is in the comp. But maybe, and look, this might just happen as they continue to develop, but I think maybe a little bit more star power um, might be one that, you know, getting a sort of a a Petracker Oliver bonton Pally genuine dominant style midfielder. But that being said, I mean the midfield's doing a really good job as it is. I'm just talking about one that can almost put you on their back if things are going badly and, and carry you to a win on
2: their own. All right. I
1: think what we'll a couple of our guys have got a question for you. Mori, you got a question for Jeff.
2: Yeah, well I was I was gonna ask about the right situation, but you covered that pretty nicely and I also I pretty much agree with the um With the list assessment, with regards to the star power, I I think we've kind of moneyballed it a little bit um, because those star players can eat up quite a bit of your salary cap. And if we've got players who are doing sort of as good grunt work as a Bontopelli and a Petrarca, and I'm talking about, you know, a Newcomer and a Warple in output, pure statistics, they are doing as well as those sorts of players that you mentioned – Do we really need to throw sort of like a big dog and potentially, you know, a big contract on top of that, on top of what we're building? Or is it a a situation where if we've got kind of a really good even spread and the team is working and humming that we wouldn't want to upset that?
3: Look, that is a terrific question and a really, really good point. And I think someone did ask on the weekend, they said, can you sort of highlight who is the player or who are the players that you're really looking forward to? And part of my – the reason I'm really bullish on this Hawthorne team is don't get me wrong, we've got some really, really good young and inexperienced players. I mean, you know, McDonald looks like – you know, I've been really complimentary of Will Day. Um, You know, Newcomb's only still young. He's been around for a little while now. But what I what I really like is that it almost seems to be Hawthorne's system beating opposition as opposed to you look at other clubs sort of in similar positions and they look at two or three players that they're hanging their head on So in terms of that I actually am almost contradicting myself in the sense that it's the Hawthorne system and it's a group that are coming through together rather than one or two players that you're looking at going that kid could be an absolute a great you know top three player in the comp. So I'm with you in the sense, I don't think they need to throw a massive offer at someone. Um, but at the same time, if you can have that system that works and players buying into it and hopefully develop someone internal that becomes that Bontempelli or Crips without needing to, you know, you pay them what they're worth, I guess. I'm, I'm certainly no list manager, but you don't need to go absolute overs with it. And by that, I sort of mean, you know, you're talking about a Joel Selwood, for example, who was probably, I'm assuming, you know, well remunerated in his time at Geelong. But because he was developed and that's where he came from, he was nowhere near paid there what he could have got on the open market. That's sort of what I mean in the sense of that is best. Joel Sowood was obviously a, a genuine superstar. Um, can we develop a genuine superstar within the group that we've got? Um, I don't know if there is one that, for example, you look at and go, is it a is it a young day cost? Is it a, a Sheasel that sort of are standing out and looking like, geez, these guys are going to be top two or three players in the comp. I'm not knocking the players. And as I said, the reason I'm really bullish is the fact that it seems to be system and all these guys buying into it. But imagine if we can get the development And is now a genuine, you know, AFL midfielder. Well, can we get one of these promising young players to become a genuine Bontempi type? But that was a really good question. Well, with a top three pick, which
1: they're probably going to still get. The Markle thing was Hawthorne had a great win the weekend, but you know the Giants won, so they stay 16th. So the issue might now be if they beat Carlton in a couple of weeks, they might jump to 15th and 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 look and. Move out of the running for a top three pick, but the you know, a, a youngster like Nick Watson, one of our listeners suggests, might be the star power given that Hawthorne's probably unlikely to now get Harley Reid. Uh, and Nick Watson might be the star power that Haw- Hawthorne can still access in the draft. Now, we had another question that apparently you're very and we'll let you go after this, Jack. It's been wonderful. Apparently, you're very well qualified to comment on this one. So, the question is, uh, who which organization. Off-field has been more chaotic in the last 18 months, both Football Club or Netball Australia. (laughs)
3: <laughs> That's ob- obviously somebody uh, somebody who knows my personal life very well. So um, I'm not sure how many people are aware with what's going on with Netball Australia at the moment. You can certainly read all the articles. Um, my partner is currently uh, one of those Australian netball players that are awaiting selection and was meant to find out yesterday if they're going to the World Cup, but has uh, been put in a bit of limbo. So um, it's funny, I recall when I was a player. I certainly didn't want anyone uh, making making any comments that could potentially get <laughs> me in trouble at the time. So, unfortunately for you guys, I would love to give you some <laughs> intel, but no, I'm going to going to remain quiet because this is about her and not me. Um, uh, and okay. uh, it's, 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 it's not a nice situation. share or any of those girls find themselves in, unfortunately.
1: No, so I was bit about it today. It's pretty. Uh, it's a pretty strange situation, and I'm not sure. My, com- my observation that Boil Australia not currently in a whole lot of glory at the moment. Jack, we will leave it there. It's been wonderful chatting to you. We might have to get you back on a bit later on to get some more views towards the end of the season because I think the, the, the people listening here absolutely love what you've had to say. So we thank you for your time. Keep on tweeting and uh, we'll talk again and uh, best of luck. Chris. Oh, What are you doing with yourself, by the way? Just Give yourself a plug for Twitter and other
3: things you're
1: doing that you might
3: want people to know about? <laughs> well, I actually, funnily enough, up until uh, last week, had so I've doubled in coaching since retiring. So I spent two years as an assistant in Werribee in the VFL. Um, and one of those was under Choco Williams, which is great. And then I spent two years as an assistant to the Bulldogs women's team um, as an assistant under Nathan Burke. So I learnt under, you know, two really, really, you know, legends of the game, really. Um, and then I went out and co- started coaching my own team. Um, in Lake or in Ballarat, Lake Wenderee Football Netball Club, and was loving my time there. Um, we were struggling for, for wins. We only had a couple of wins over the past two years. Our, our team demographic was incredibly young. Um, we tried not to make that an excuse, but when your captain and vice captain are both twenty two years old, it probably goes to show how young you are. So um, we actually recently did amic genuinely amicably, and these things do sound. They don't go that, that you are just uh, putting out the party line. But we amicably decided to uh, go our separate ways just last week, actually. And the reason for that we're talking about, why. My- Partner, obviously, before she currently lives in Sydney. I'm Melbourne-based, so there is potential, and it's not locked in yet. But you know, do I do I not look at moving interstate at some stage in the next 12 months? That means it was going to be hard for me to commit to football um, next year, um, coaching there. And then, sort of, when it became apparent we weren't going to play finals this year, it sort of just became well, you know, rather than sort of you know, seeing this year out and then worrying about what's best for the club at the end of the year, is it best if we go our separate ways now so they can look at. Moving moving forward and doing what's best for them and and their young group. So it had been a discussion we'd been talking about for a while and we have gone our separate ways, but it genuinely, genuinely is and was very amicable. Um, so I'll certainly still be following Lakers, but, um, that also means i have going to have weekends free a little bit more, which was uh, probably why I was a bit more active on Twitter and, and watching the game a bit closer than sort of just checking scores on previous Saturdays. So I guess that's what I'm doing and, and what I'm up to. But um, look, I'm always happy to have a chat on Twitter and sometimes I can be a bit slow to reply and whatnot. So don't take it personally if I either miss you or take a little while to get back to you. But um, no, thank you for having me on. I've, I've loved it. I mean, I'm, I love it you know, talking footy, but particularly, you know, Hawthorne, given I grew up with going for them and was a member for so long and then became a player as well. So thank you again for the time. I'd love to come back on. And, uh, yeah, please feel free to reach out. And uh, I'm more than happy to chat on Twitter about what else is going on in the world, particularly of footy. All right, Jack, wonderful having you on. Good
1: luck with everything and hope uh, hope the netball situation works out as well for the, for the home life. So thanks. We'll talk to you soon. That was Thanks, guys.
3: Enjoy the rest of the night.
1: Thanks, Jack. Jack Fitzpatrick, Hawthorne legend, uh, and really is that uh, one of the great days of footy and clearly loves the club. So good to have him involved. All right, we're going to turn now to James Sicily. It's been a very, very uh, interesting time. Uh, I never held great confidence that he would uh, beat the rap at the tribunal. Brad, I think you shared my opinion. Danny, I think you were a bit more optimistic. Um what are your thoughts? It's now going to go to an appeal that the Tribunal upheld the three-match three ban last night. Hawthorne are going to appeal. Uh, we'll start with you, Danny. What hope do they have of turning this over? And if we've got any lawyers on board, by the way, anyone with a legal background who's got an opinion on how the Hawks might want to frame the appeal, now's your time to jump on or add a comment and take part in the conversation because we're just a bunch of amateurs here and if anyone's got more knowledge about how it could work, we we'll not be here from you. But first, Danny. Look,
4: firstly, before I get into it, if anything describes the, I guess, the balance of the Hawks inside, it's me being positive about something and Brad being negative about something. So I think it sort of just fits in perfectly with uh, where we're at. But uh, look, I, it was it was always going to be a tricky one. I just thought that the, the Hawks had um, some really good arguments at, at, the, at the tribunal last night. I think some of their um, evidence around bringing in the biomechanist um, talking about body positions and um, you know the, the the way that various um, people um, ie Tyler Brockman and I think they brought in maybe it was kadeen Coleman um, had impacted the way that the tackle sort of eventuated um, to me that sort of suggested that there was some hope in uh, in getting it overturned completely I mean I, I look at it as is incorrect but I look at it as that was a that's a pure footy act and to get three weeks for a pure footy act to me there's something wrong there um, there's something wrong with the system if you're you know tackling a bloke in the way that you've been taught he rolled he rolled um, humor Cluggage over onto uh, onto on top of himself and sure there was a bit of follow through after but um, I think the way that it's set up it was set up for three weeks or nothing uh, and I think that that's that's really hard because if the tribunal feels that they have to give a suspension in order to um, continue to enforce the changing of perceptions around tackling, and I understand the need to do that. I understand the need to protect the head, to avoid concussions, even if their motivation is to avoid litigations in future. Um, There are some real concerns around long-term injuries and, and, and that sort of thing around head knocks. Um, So I understand the need to protect that. But I just look at that and I go, in no way can I see a three-week suspension for a tackle that was executed to the point where James Sicily was awarded with a free kick. So um, I I thought there'd be a chance of getting it off purely because I thought the three for that tackle is just exorbitant and completely um, inappropriate for the act that was committed. Brad,
0: uh, some you weren't surprised. Good... No, I wasn't surprised at all. And the second Hugh suffered a concussion, you knew Sis was uh, gone. Uh, I agree with Prinzi. I think three weeks is a joke. Um, I tweeted last night, which, uh, yeah, generated a lot of discussion. Uh, the Coszy Pickett one, he got the two weeks for his missile on Bailey Smith. His intent was to hurt sis absolutely no way intended to hurt hugh as Prinzi mentioned uh sis won a free kick it was really unfortunate but unfortunately we've seen this year with a lot of the cases it's more uh the the outcome is if a player gets injured the person who laid the tackle or the bump is in a lot of trouble uh Concussion has been in the news in the last you know 24, 48 uh, months. It's only going to get worse for the AFL, and I know Daniel Harford tweeted last night about it. Prinzy mentioned uh, the litigation for concussion. That is a reason. Uh, but I'm glad Hawthorne are challenging. I don't think he's going to win, but it's important that they you know obviously do challenge. Unfortunately, our club lose 99% of the times at the tribunal. Ash opened it up uh, for the lawyers to come on board. I'd love us to engage the Carlton lawyer because if yeah. we had the Carlton lawyer, I'd be more confident that Sis would be able to get off this. But I agree with Prinzi that three weeks is too much. The zero or three is just uh, ridiculous. Like, I understand Hugh suffered a concussion. It was unfortunate. But similar to Will Day, copped two weeks for his tackle uh, earlier on in the year. Uh Yes, it was a little dangerous, but the play got straight up. There was no uh, injury. So you look at day cops two weeks for a tackle, Sis cops three weeks for a tackle that he won a free kick, yeah, cozy Pickett cops two weeks for an intent to hurt. So the whole system's just wrong um, and it's quite uh, frustrating.
1: All right, David and Matt, we'll
0: get you firstly. David, good evening. Good day,
5: boys. There you go. Um,
0: good mate. Jack, Jack was fantastic.
5: Um, I've only got two problems with it. Is I'm with I'm a bit with Brad. I don't think I think he, the concussion thing. He should, if he's got concussion, and he did roll him a bit, maybe he gets suspended a week. But I've got the, my, my two major problems. Is that, and I don't know the full tribunal. Do they take into account now that his previous concussions? Because it's now been proven that once a player gets one concussion. As he goes further along, he eventually can get concussed by literally just bumping his head on a bloke's shoulder without him running into him deliberately, you know what I mean? The other thing is, my biggest problem with the three weeks is, last year, Stuart from Geelong got four weeks for stepping past the ball and sticking an elbow in Prestia's head, which gave him six weeks off. The day that happened, he should have got eight to ten weeks immediately they buggered it up then, and now they're trying to get their, get their back by getting blokes like that. I'm sorry. Young Stewart should have got eight to ten weeks. I'm telling you, I'm a rugby league person. A player walks past the ball and elbows the bloke in the head, he's going to get between 12 and 16 weeks. Stewart got four weeks, and that's the thing that's annoying me the most.
1: Yeah, well, but based on and the three weeks, it's quite outrageous, given some of the incidents we've seen. Peter getting two, Stewart getting four last. Last year, the three's out is outrageous. They just, there was no scope really. For them. It was three or bust. I think the way Hawthorne will approach the appeal, I saw this written somewhere this evening, was the argument oh, might be no tribunal could have reasonably come to a conclusion that uh, it was a dangerous tackle. That might be the best uh, tack for them to go, but I don't hold a great deal of faith that Hawthorne will get this overturned either, just quietly. Uh, Matt, good evening. you got a que- question. Thanks for joining us.
6: Matt, you there?
1: Matt.
6: We've got the right button, Ash.
1: Oh, Mick. We've Mick, yep. Go, okay, Mick, how are you?
6: Good, yourselves? Good. Yep. Just on the... It's pretty evident now that the outcome determines the, the result of the tribunal. And it's going to be a minimum of three weeks if you knock a bloke out, irrespective of what the action is. I just put up in the chat there raise a view of... Because he umpired the game and he didn't see anything wrong with the tackle on the day. Um, and he wasn't prepared to comment on the tribunal, which I fully understand. But if you look at what's happened in the other cases, anyone that's been knocked out, three weeks is the minimum that you're going to get. Now, whether on the appeal they can get it down to say, well, this doesn't quite fit into, comparable to say what Mansell did. Um, and I take Brad's point about the intent that, Pickett showed when he launched himself, but luckily didn't knock a bloke out and got two weeks. So, you know, is there going to be some capacity for the tribunal set a precedent that that plays forward from here on in? I don't know. You know, I, they're so worried about concussion, it's driving everybody around the bend. I think because the issue then becomes, what's a player going to do when they go for a desperate, um, desperate lunge? And a tackle like yeah. that, they're going to they're going to second guess themselves because. You know what's the risk and reward? You know, doing that as everyone sort of said, if it happens for preliminary final week, you know, it's going to be devastating yeah. for players. Yeah, um, and
1: Brownlow, Brownlow, brown fancy will get rubbed out if they hasn't already, um, oh, yeah, and that'll yeah. cause them to rethink. Um, hmm. And the, the other issue is that there's no clarity from the AFL, no communication from the AFL about what, uh, what, what, why they're making decisions they are, Not having no real proper head of foot. Laura Kane's doing, you know. She's, She's a temporary head of football, but they need the, the, the key figure to come in and run but, footy, be it Jimmy Bartell or Gales or whoever. It's just hmm. a big mess.
6: Oh, yeah. The goalposts are changing too because the, the lead decisions, they inferred that if there was an arm free, you were pretty safe. And yep. that was the argument they ran. You know, we ran last night saying, Sicily City, I tried to pull him down onto myself, so I became the point of contact. There was a free arm. Now, he got twisted so quickly he actually fell on the other side. Now, is there an onus too on a player with the ball to say if I get tackled and I hold on that ball for the extra split second to try and get it out, and then get spun around? You know, where where does that fall? Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, the question then becomes: you know, Should the umpires then be giving the free the free kick quicker? The player
1: players are often at fault in these things. I remember being outraged when Buddy Franklin got two weeks for Ben Cousins. Clash in 2009, mm. they end up costing Hawthorne the finals that year. Mm. Cousins was just being a smart ass and just trying to dance around him, mm. held on to the ball for too long. Buddy eventually collects him, uh, but then the fault's all with Buddy. So, yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. Sometimes it is the ball carrier who brings parts of these upon themselves. Anyway, there's a lot of yeah. grey area in this, and uh, as I said, I don't hold a great deal of faith that Hawthorne will get much success at the uh, the board on Monday night.
6: Because the other one is the Murphy, where he's Played for the free kick on on the Collingwood Melbourne game. You know that's where yeah. the players will go now, and it's going to end up. You know we all hated the soccer where they take the dive. Well, I'll throw my head down and blokes with long hair. You get the visual impact of <laughs> the head being knocked. You know, yeah. and and for an umpire, that's what they'll see. You know, that's what they've. The, you know, it's the body cue more than than the actual hit. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a whole range of issues. Yeah, we'll yeah. see,
1: Mick. Great to have your input as always, and uh, hopefully you might be doing something for us on the Substack before long, and uh, which will be excellent. No thanks Cheers. for that, uh, Matt. Good evening.
7: Good day. Um Yeah, I was just even thinking earlier in the day about what Fitzy was saying that, like, we are probably closer to, to a flag than a lot of the other teams are, ones that are even higher up on the ladder than us. Just because we've got so many good young players that have so much improvement and we've got a lot of competition for spots for a team that's um, so low on the ladder. Um, I think that we go to the draft, hit the draft again this year and maybe next year um, look at free agency when we're more of a destination club i um, wondering what you guys think about that. And I'm also really glad that Sicily's appealing, but the cynic in me is just wondering if this is the AFL's way of subtly punishing Hawthorne, where they got the extra week, one more than anybody else did, and now Sicily's got two weeks more than anybody else has for a dangerous tackle. Yeah, that's
1: it's, it's not – I mean, I, I have spent enough time with the AFL and working for the AFL to know that there is actually a fair degree of independence with the tribunal, so uh, it looks like a duck and smells like a duck. But in this case, it's actually not a duck. Uh, it's just one of those. It's just unfortunate, you know. Yeah, you know, I think there's a fair there's a fair degree of non Hawthorne sympathy for Will Day. Most people thought it was maybe one week, two was harsh. James Sicily is the most loved player in the AFL. Now, I never thought it'd live to see the day. we so many people <laughs> for. for for Sicily, of all players, one of the most polarizing figures in the game. The fact that he's um, that so many people think he's been harshly dealt with is interesting. To your first point about the the list management, uh, they clearly want to have they want to go to the draft at least one more time, and that'll be this year with a top three or four pick. And they hope Will McCabe. They must have a bit more work to get McCabe now. Yep. Uh, um, then after that, that, they see themselves as being probably twelve months away from being a destination club for the big name free agent or the big name trade. But having said that, the way they're going, um, Sam Mitchell is the sort of coach that players will want to come and play for. They almost got Jack Bowes over the line when he had no intent. He almost took the meeting with Hawthorne as a matter of uh, as a matter of courtesy, um, and then one meeting with Sam Mitchell, and he almost abandoned plans to go to Geelong to come play for Hawthorne. So that's the power persuasion that Mitchell's got. So now, with Mitchell's coaching record and the style of play. They start to implement. I think Hawthorne will be, and then you know we'll even add uh, Dingley to the conversation in 12 months' time because it'll be a fantastic place to go to work every day. They'll be a destination club in 12 months' time if the results keep going their way. So uh, there is a bit to look forward to. Matt, uh, thanks for joining us uh, uh, for, uh, and for your, your excellent questions. So I want to put a bow on the Sicily discussion. Unless there's anything anyone else wants to add to it, uh, but I want to um, get you. Danny, to talk briefly about a couple of podcasts we've got coming up. And the one with Will Day is sort of relevant because he talked a bit about tackling and uh, what they've had to come to understand pretty quickly. So we've got a Seamus Mitchell um, pod that went live, Will Day podcast. is also um, uh, going to go live in the next couple of days in one of his regular chats to us. Just give a bit of a summary about those two conversations. Yeah, look, we were really, really lucky.
4: Uh, we see and I. Uh, got together and we were able to interview Seamus Mitchell late last week, uh, just ahead of him being recalled to the team after a week with COVID. Um, and yeah, look, Seamus was incredibly impressive. For those who haven't heard the podcast yet, uh, he spoke about his journey and you know some of the challenges he had to face in the lead up to getting drafted, uh, drafted in a COVID year, drafted with. Um, uh, massive injuries um, and then, you know, his first two years being an absolute write-off um, and, you know, coming back, going uh, effectively the Dylan Moore path of um, getting uh, delisted and then re-rookied and um, I think his ascension into this Hawthorne team and, um, and, and what how important he is to this Hawthorne team and the style that they're playing at the moment. Ash, you've talked about, you know, that run and gun, Hamble, Happy Hawks. Um, You know, Seamus Mitchell plays a really, really big part of that because he is incredibly quick. He's a very good user of the ball by hand and foot. Um, He's shown as well that he can um, lock down on on opposition small forwards too and do a good job defensively. Um, So yeah, um, he was incredibly impressive and um, really excited by what he's been able to produce coming from, um, from the clouds, basically. And then Um, Will Day, we've got a pod, I don't want to give too much of it away, we've got a pod coming, I think it's going to drop on Friday morning Um, just doing some editing there probably just getting rid of all the stuff that I said Um, but Will uh, as always, the second time he's dropped in and chatted to uh, the Hawks Insiders he is an incredibly impressive man Um, I think the thing to look out for, and we'll try to get a few screenshots of it um, when Will starts talking about the footy club and when he starts talking about uh, a few of his mates and, and particularly when he starts talking about Dylan Moore, he has a smile from ear to ear talking about the love and the passion that these guys have for the club that they play for. And we could hear it when Jack was speaking before, you know, when you're a fan and the Hawks have got a lot of them um, who grew up barracking for the club they now play for. There's a there's a different level of attachment. And I think I speak on behalf of everybody in this room. We're all Hawthorne Football Club fans, first and foremost. When we see guys and we can see that they love the club as much as we love the club, you know, those players are held so, so closely and so dearly to our hearts. So um, when you see, you know, Jack Scrimshaw and Jai Newcomb and Dylan Moore and um, you know, uh, yeah, uh, Will Day with his connection with his grandfather, even if he somehow fakes that he went for Gold Coast, he, these are Hawthorne people. And, um, and I think that that, for me, was one of the things that I uh, took away from that chat with Will Day is that he was just, he's just, he's just he's brown and gold uh, running, coursing through his, his veins. And I think um, that's, that should be uh, super exciting for Hawks fans. There's a lot in there about tackling um, the young Hawks and how they're developing, what they need to do to continue to get better, um, some of the um, older leaders of the club as well, uh, and the important roles that they play. So, yeah, it, it was just a great chat. Great great 35 minutes spent with Will, and um, we'll do it again in the next uh, sort of six or so weeks uh, in the lead-up to the end of the season.
1: Yeah, the takeaway about the tackling was interesting with Will, David. The AFL, after a while, eventually came and made a presentation to the players about tackling and what they see as the right technique and the wrong technique and a lot of paperwork for them to a lot of reading material as well but uh, he did make the point that uh, in the heat of battle when you've got to make a split second decision all that reams of paper that isn't necessarily what comes through your head and I think uh, this all adds to the Sicily discussion that um, if it, it players acting instinctively it's very hard to follow the rules when you've got a split second or what the AFL wants you to do the new tackling techniques and all the things to take into consideration very very difficult to follow in in a split second now I want to expand for the next couple of minutes, I raised this on the, the uh, review pod and I want to um, get Brad's view on this and Maura's view on this as well and anyone who's listening might want to uh, chime in as well so I posited the uh, and it's just for conversation discussion only I don't have a firm view on it, but I think it's worth discussing. player who's been squeezed out of the team at the moment because of injury is CJ, um, the most popular player at the club and the the absolute marketing department's favourite at Hawthorne. But he's been squeezed out of the side at the moment because of Seamus Mitchell's excellent form in a fairly similar role as a running defender who's got great defensive actions and really good with the ball, both pacey and excellent use of the footy. With CJ, it's high risk. Reward. So the question I want to ask is given Hawthorne has actually played quite well in the last few weeks without CJ in the side, and they may have, they're carrying so many halfback flankers in the side. My question for you, Brad, and for Moira is would you entertain the trade of CJ if it helped Hawthorne fill a need in another part of the ground or landed another, say, top 25 draft pick?
0: It's a very good question, Ash. I've spoken about CJ this year. I think he's had a poor. thought I think he's had a poor season. Many may disagree. Um, I don't think he's in our best twenty-two at the moment. Uh, I think he needs to come back via Box Hill. Uh, I think Seamus, as uh, you mentioned, is in front of him now, Josh uh, Weddle, who is probably a bit taller. He is taller than CJ, but plays a similar role. Um, Scrimshaw I think is going to hold his spot now as well It's going to be interesting to see who replaces Sis Um, Frost will probably come back He wasn't on our uh, uh, injury report yesterday So I think Frost will get the nod in front of DGB While Sis misses those games Uh, Do we trade CJ? Probably not I think my opinion is he needs to be played higher up uh, the ground I think he'd be a winger A decent uh, player on the wing I think, I, just, I think defensively he's not that great. I think he does one or two great things a game that people look at and you know go, wow. But I think he turns it over quite a lot. You can't have those players in the back line that uh, turn it over. I think our back line now has actually been really settled with the return of James Blank. Playing that key position role has actually allowed Sis to regain his All-Australian, well, should have been All-Australian last year. But I think with Weddell, Mitchell... Um, Jarman's having his best year at the Hawks. I think our back line's really settled. There's just no spot for CJ. So if Mitchell and the match committee see him uh, as a defender, he's not getting in the side. He's not going to play for the rest of the year unless someone gets injured. So, um, yeah, it's a tough one. I wouldn't trade him because I think he's got potential to be a really, really good player. He's still quite young. He's still learning. Um, I wouldn't trade him. But I don't think he's currently in our best twenty-two. If he's being played as a defender,
2: someone did what? get injured, Brad. Um, last week or the week before, yeah. Or it was wasn't injured, but um, Seamus missed with illness, and I thought it was quite telling that we gave a game to Bailey McDonald before giving it to CJ, yeah. which kind of tells you where he's at at the moment. Yeah. Um, would I hey, actively? In,
0: he's injured at the moment. He, oh, he's he injured did, Yeah, long. he did. He 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 did have a carp injury. I'm pretty sure the report yesterday said he's fully fit now so it's as I, I tweeted about it our injury list actually mentioned which I think we need to touch on Actually, Peter Burge has done an unbelievable job um, after the bye the only player on our injury list will be uh, Maxi Lynch so we've literally got a full list of players to choose from so Box Hill's next game is going to have guys like Chad probably CJ Josh Ward's out, the other one I would replace Bramble with Ward I don't think it would happen because I don't think Ward's a wingman. There's just no spot for Ward in the midfield at the moment, which shows the depth that the club's currently got. So it's going to be interesting selection for our next clash against Gold Coast.
2: Yeah, but but going, back to I, that... going back to that point, sorry Ash, just to answer your actual question, I mean the fact that Bailey McDonald was able to just kind of step in and do a reasonable job in a team that was getting hammered, he actually did a pretty good job on half back. Um, I think because there's we've got depth in that position, we've got. Um, it's kind of not hard to find players who can be okay in that position. I'm not actively offloading CJ, but if the offer came in, I'm definitely entertaining it.
1: Yeah, that's a bit interesting. One at the end of the year, teams will ask the question of, of, of a player like CJ. It's I mean the thing about Peter Bird, we might talk on in more detail. We're going to pick up in a couple of minutes, is the injury list is quite remarkable in, in how small it is. So normally by around this time last year, Hawthorn were starting to put players out for past year, If we remember, they, they, Chad was the first one at the buy, but almost on a weekly basis. But now in the end of the season, at this time last year, Hawthorn was putting one guy out um, for season-ending surgery to get them ready for the pre-season. So they're coming this year, and they've all had this fantastic season. Guys aren't playing. You ordinarily you would have thought McDonald would have played more than one game. You would have thought Hushwaite would have made his debut by now. Um, there'd be two or three other players at Box Hill, um, Danny, Hoot
0: probably Cooper would have played Stevens.
1: already. Yeah, Cooper Stevens would have played by now. We would have seen other guys play, but the injury list being as small as it is, there are guys who are ready to play and deserving of a chance at Box Hill. And somehow over the course of the season, you would think Mitchell would like, and Metrid would like to have a look at uh, at Cooper Stevens, like to have a look at Huswaite in particular, and maybe, you know, find it, to, to Osullivan or, or Bennett get a look in as well. It's quite remarkable. These guys aren't getting a look in because the injury list is is as small as it is.
4: Yeah, and not only that, like we're not getting full games into Cam McKenzie either because the mo- most weeks he's uh, he's you know having to start as the sub just to fit him into the team. We've barely we haven't seen um, Ned Long this year at all, and he's been smashing it at Box Hill, like you said. Cooper Stevens has been playing well. Um, O'Sullivan and Bennett's have shown signs. Um, we got one game into Max Ramsden. They'd probably want to get a couple more before the season's out, unless there's an injury to a ruck. That's not going to happen. Um, you know, and they've just um, brought in Brandon Ryan from uh, the Northern Bullants, who we will hopefully play after the bye. And they he's in on a six-month contract. So they're going to want to get him AFL games if they can before the season's out, just to see what they've got with him. He's not a 20-year-old kid. He's 25 years old. So he should be, you know, as ready to go as you can be when you're not in a professional environment, um, you know, up until the last couple of weeks. So it's it's a, it's a good problem to have, but it's still – I would say it's still a problem to have. Sometimes these injuries actually um, create uh, opportunities for guys to step up and take uh, the mantle. But, um, you know, it, it's an incredible uh, effort by – um, you know, and, and a fair bit of luck, but incredible effort by Peter Burge and his uh, medical team um, to have these, these players up and about as well as they have this, this year. And look, One of the things we chatted to Will Day about was his shoulder stinger. Um, his shoulder um, was hit by Oscar McInerney. Um, he said it's a bit sore, but he will be absolutely ready to go after the buy, so the buy's come at a good time for a few of these
1: talks. Yeah, I don't think you would have played. Listen to I don't think you would have played this week. No, that was I that was my would have deal. been that a bit too. Yeah, based on chatting to him. So uh, the buy has come at a perfect time. Um, we're going to finish up before we do. I'll just run through some questions that people had. Thank you so much for all of these. Um, um, really good uh, post on Jack of uh, I'm Jack Jacobit. Um, just sort of picking some holes in the. Tribunal judgments. It's on the, uh, it's a reply to the Twitter post uh, advertising the space uh, that went up at that uh, 20 past eight, whatever it was. So if you get a chance to a look at that, he makes some really, really valid points. Um, uh, he also said, I'd, I'd the only try to entertain is a first round pick swap with the Bulldogs and CJ for Norton. Uh, good point. But then uh, the counter view for Mick is that uh, CJ is only worth. A third round pick. CJ started light ball work with the fitness staff last week. Yeah, he's uh likely to play round fifteen. If he does so it'll be at um, Box Hill. Hawk twelve on a side note. Does anyone know when round twelve round twenty-four draw is released? Hoping to get to Hawks game from the Interstate, but the Sunday fixture would suit best. Uh about four weeks out from the round is when they will release round twenty-three. It really will depend on whether Fremantle's in touch a chance of making the finals. If not, I would suggest it'll, it'll be a Saturday game. They tend to want to save the Sunday games for the ones that really uh, could, uh, where teams are live, chances to make the finals. also got to look at the MCG draw that round and see who else is playing at the MCG. But I think Hawthorne-Frio looks like a game that just get away on a Saturday afternoon uh, before the big guns play the games that make up the finals. Hawk 12, I'd trade CJ, but I doubt this will this year. doesn't have the skills and footy now, so I'm sorry. And I think Sammy knows this. Yeah, that might be an element of truth in that. I think um, CJ will have a bit to prove when he gets back because, as I've said before, Seamus Mitchell is an upgrade on him in terms of consistency and what he can do. He's got all the the weapons you need for senior football. CJ can be brilliant at times, but he can bring the team undone with skill errors and uh, lack of accountability. And I reckon I've seen Daniel at least one occasion where he's been... uh, He's been chewed out by teammates on the field for not following team rules. you, you seen that,
4: yeah. Look, I think I think we know that with um, CJ's sort of lack of exposure to football early in his in his life, he's he's a rawer prospect than others. Um, but he's an athletic beast, and you know where he might lack in some of that innate footy understanding. Um, I think he can pick that up to a level where he can be successful. And I look, I still have really high hopes for CJ. I think. Um, I think more than just as a marketer's dream, I, I, I think there's a legitimate AFL player there. And I think if you have a look at how how CJ kicked a footy when he first came to the football club, he would have been the worst kick of a footy on an AFL list. Uh, and his work, he has worked diligently to make himself an AFL standard uh, kick of the footy. Um, so I am sure he'll be doing absolutely everything in his power to continue to improve himself as a player and get himself to a point where, you know, a conversation like this would be unfathomable.
1: I, uh, one of the things we're doing before the next few weeks, we've got a series of uh, mid season review articles. One of the ones is three things we've all nominated, three things we'd like to see happen before the end of the season. I haven't written mine yet, but one of the things I'll be writing is I want to see CJ and Seamus Mitchell in the same team and work out, give them both a run, on, one a run half back, one a run on the wing, swap around, flip around, see how it goes, because it would be shame. Not to make it work. I mean, if, if, if we could both work, there's two such exciting players. Um, but I'd like to see how they could make it work. That would probably mean uh, Bramble not playing. But I think if there's still a bit of experimentation going on this season, that's something I would like to see happen before the end of the season. Uh, we also have a question about the CEO search. Uh, I have no visibility on that. Um, it was suggested that um, Simon Lloyd would be a lead candidate for the... CEO's role. Simon Lloyd missed out on a, the CEO role at Collingwood, I think. He was uh, just uh, just lost out to uh, Craig Kelly coming back, hugely regarded in AFL circles. Started his football admin career at Hawthorne. He was the runner and the psychologist. If you look at the video of uh, Ben Dixon goal after the siren, uh, one of the people jumping around in the huddle when that happened was Simon Lloyd as the runner. Also brother of Matthew, but we will forgive him for that. Um he is an name to watch but, um, and is clearly ready to do it. I think he'd be an excellent appointment. I think given um, the challenges the football club face at the moment, I think he'd be really well placed to sort them out. But that will play itself out over the next little while. But that's about all that we have from a visibility point of view. That, I think, is everything. Um, Danny, any housekeeping we need to be aware of? No,
4: not at all. Just uh, another reminder, I feel like I'm a broken record, but um, if you'd like to subscribe to the Hawks Insiders, you can do so for $5 a month or $50 for the year. We appreciate everybody who does subscribe, whether it's a free subscription or a paid one, but um, those sort of paid subscriptions really do help us continue to um, invest our time and energy and effort to bring what we think is um, some really high-quality content.
1: So, yeah, that's about it. Uh, So... Look out for great content, mid-season review sort of content over the next few days. Um, a high-profile Hawthorne uh, staff member has been promised to us in the next couple of weeks for another podcast, so we hope we can bring that to you as well. Um, I also want to thank Danny for running it tonight, Brad and to Simon for taking part. We will be back for The Space next week, and there's no game to review. We'll talk through some of our mid-season review articles and uh, some of the things we have posited and put up for discussion. We'll expand on those in the space next week. And as always, we want to hear from you as well. So thanks everyone who took part time. It was a great session. Thanks again to Jack for joining us. It was great to have him on board. We will certainly be getting him back before the end of the season. Enjoy the bye weekend. Nice, stress-free time. If you get the opportunity to go and watch your local footy team play, They need your love and support as much as the Hawks do. So get out amongst it and have a pie and a beer and uh, support local footy if you're at a loss for something to do this weekend with the Hawks not play. Thanks to everyone for joining us. We'll talk to you again on the Hawks Insider Safe Space next Wednesday night. Have a good one.
0: So much for listening to Hawks Insider, head to our substack for more quality analysis, special features, news, interviews, and so much more.